Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Molly Quinn, an actor and producer you might have seen on several seasons of Castle, or in the movies Welcome to Happiness, Doctor Sleep, several others. She pops up in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and you can hear her as a voice performer in the various Winx Club shows. And, of course, she was Pamela Stallwark in My Beloved Thrilling Adventure Hour. Her latest project, Mickey Reese's Agnes, which Molly produced and in which she co-stars, is in theaters and on VOD this Friday after a run through the festival circuit, and it's really good. You should check it out. Molly picked Song of the Sea, the second feature from the Irish Animation House Cartoon Saloon following the exquisite debut The Secret of Kells. It's a masterful tale of a kid named Ben, voiced by David Rowell, whose grandmother moves him and his little sister Saoirse from their seaside home and their lighthouse keeper father to live with her in Dublin. In no time at all, Ben and Saoirse are heading back to the seaside, their journey complicated both by their youth and by the possibility that Saoirse is half-selkie, destined to save the fairy world from an existential threat Ben didn't even know existed when they started out. It sounds complicated, but it's all pretty simple. And it's utterly beautiful. This is someone else's movie. I remember the first time I watched it, um, I had bought a bunch of, I was looking for like independent animated films to show my nieces and nephews. And, and, and that came up and I had seen um, Secret of Kells, mm-hmm. uh, which can be a bit harder to digest. I think for kids, it's a slower moving animated film. Uh, and when I watched Song of the Sea, I just was, I mean, my jaw dropped to the floor because like you said, with Thrilling Adventure Hour, like it felt like it was made for me. And I rewatched it last night and just the, it, it's exactly that. I feel like it's, it's, it's how I see the world and how I wish other people saw the world too. Oh, that's beautifully put. The cartoon saloon thing the the aesthetic their their vibe i don't know how to describe it other than you know it the instant you see it that this is one of their works and mm-hmm. and song of the sea has this tender delicate beautiful elegance to it where you're watching perfect circles move and they happen to also be people it's it's the mm-hmm. the the visual aesthetic is so striking and yeah you'd seen kells i think kells had played here at the toronto irish film festival and then Song of the Sea was at TIFF, um, the actual film festival. They got it for, for the Toronto Film Festival and played it as a TIFF Kids feature. But it just felt like a leveling up in so many ways mm. that they were, they were just doing a little bit more, being a little more ambitious, working like Tom Moore, working the music in the way he does and taking a really simple folktale and just sort of recombining the elements into something that's so sad and universal and moving this time through, of course, I'm just, I'm more worried about the dog than anything oh, else. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know how it's going to end, so yeah. I'm fine with it, but, but yeah, the, the fact that that dog has a personality to yeah, rival Koo. any of the human characters. Yeah. Koo is yeah. just so lovely. And um, it, it makes, you know, I think, I think what I, what I really love was just first off giving sharing a perspective from another part of the world, you know, sharing these folk stories that are so much more interesting than I feel like all the um, uh, Grimm's stories that uh, Disney took and has remade a hundred times. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it gives you, it gives you something different in a very, um, in a very like loving way, because even the second time, like I watch it and I'm, 
I'm very aware that like, it's a culture that I want to be a part of, but, but these weren't my stories. You know, I didn't grow up in Ireland. Like I had heard the word Selkie before, but it's not something that I'd ever been told as a kid or anything like that. Um, it was more of a self-discovery when I started getting into lore and stuff for, from around the world. Um, and so I love that. And it's part of why I want to be there so badly. And, and I wonder this time when I was watching it, like, I wonder if even the story of, of the Selkie came up as a way to discuss absent mothers or mothers that die during childbirth. Uh, like I, I really laser focused on that. And I think uh, it's what I loved the first time I saw it, but wasn't able to articulate it yet, which is that my obsession is mother-child dynamics and, and what happens when when there's a missing parent, you know, the, the last scene in Song of the Sea, when that boy, he just, he, cause he's still a child and he, and he goes up to his mom and he asks her to stay and, and she puts her hand on his cheek. I was just, I was, I was a waterfall of tears, <laughs> a waterfall of tears. And, and I, I want to know how they do that. I want to know how they get you know, the, the color scape so perfect and the voice casting so perfect and, and the story. And, and, and there are so many different stories that they weave into the movie too. You know, like you think you're, you're following this, this mute girl and you get these fantastic elements, but you wonder if she even wonders if it was all a dream, you know, cause as kids, we all have those dreams where we thought we were flying. And you don't tell anyone, but you in your head, you know, you can kind of believe that, yeah, I, I flew last night. You know what I mean? So you yeah. wonder, oh, I swam with seals last night, you know? Um, and then the little boy, when they moved to the city, just wanting to get back to coup, you know, and it, in, in wanting to get back, I think in a, in a larger sense to, to family, you know, he's, he's attached to that dog. Cause it's, it's all he has, you know, it is the thing that's been close once his, you know, dad kind of got into his own world um, because of grief. And then I wonder too, if it's an expression of grief and how that is a winding road before you can come back to the family that is left, you know, and, and appreciate and love and nurture your new family. Because I think that's really hard in a long process. I agree. Um, and I think I, I did notice a bunch of reviews. I went back and read some of the to see how it was received. And mm -hmm. a lot of people were, they sort of not complaining exactly, but a lot of the reviews said it's sort of sloppy in the second act and circuitous, and it's a very long road and it is, but it needs to be right. They I mean, can it's all, a they can all get out of here. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think, I think it's a, I, because I think the journey, because if you're really, you know, the, the way I look at it and I, and I do see it as a, a roadmap to dealing with loss and, trying to knit something back together that is messy mm -hmm. you know yeah. like sh sure you want a perfect story but I, I to be honest i don't want perfect stories those, those aren't real i i tune out I, yeah. I i'm really not interested i just think we need to know we need to see that ben is lost both mm -hmm. metaphorically and literally that he mm -hmm. he needs Sersha to read the map a couple of times and help and he needs he's yeah he needs guidance he's a, he is a child and and the, the this time through, too, I hadn't remembered that Koo was just a puppy when 
when Rona leaves, when Rona mm-hmm. disappears from the storyline. Mm-hmm. And so he and Ben grew up together. Of course, they're equally important to each other. And again, Koo is just a great big round thing with, you know, sometimes you see his eyes and that's about it. But the the expressiveness that they pack in through the animation into this dog and the voice that the, the the barking actor, whatever it is, it sounded like it was real, but there's some scary noises that I rather, you know, came from a person pretending to yes. be a dog. Yeah. Um, he's just so, he's so vividly part of that story. And, um, and Ben responds to, like, we have to understand in the first 10 minutes why it's ripping Ben apart that he's losing Koo more than his father. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Koo's charged down the, I, the first time I saw it, I remember thinking, well, please don't go in the water. Please don't, like, if this story opens with the dog dying, trying to save his, like, that's the giant tragedy that they need to get past, I'm leaving. I can't. I just can't. But it's too sympathetic to do that. It, the filmmakers care too much. Like, they know it's bad enough that we've lost the mother. Yeah. And that, you know, ultimately we will lose her again. Yeah. Um, we have to, we have to let the kids find their way back to each other and, and the family. And that's that second act where, yeah, there's a detour and, and Ben loses everybody for a little while in the underworld. He, he needs He's that, almost right? becoming, well, and it's funny because he, he, he's a child, but in those, in those moments, like when he, he meets the spirit who, has all the hair and can mm. show him the stories of life. You know, it's um, it's almost like the first time, because because this happens, you know, for every kid. It happened for you. It happened for me. When you gain some perspective on the world that is not you focused, mm-hmm. you know, when you become aware that um, there are other things much more important than you, quite frankly, um, going on, and and that is a step in growing up. Yeah. Uh, my parents divorced when I was 10 and it took at least another 15 years for me to realize just, you know, how hard they were trying anyway, how like none of it mattered. Right. But at the time, cause it was all about me and my world coming apart and being destabilized, but you like, you either learn from that or you never do. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I, I had an absolutely disastrous relationship in my mid twenties. It's just like, Oh, I get it now. Like they, <laughs> they didn't know any more than this. We didn't, yeah. I didn't have kids, so it was easier, but mm-hmm. um, it's just that, that moment where you, yeah, you step outside, you finally understand that there is a world outside yourself. And um, yeah, and sometimes no matter how hard you try, it, it doesn't work. And that doesn't mean that you did not try. Yeah. It's, it's okay for relationships to end. Um, or fail even, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's just how we keep going and how we learn. And you mentioned the the texture of the dream. And I wanted to get back to that because the the sharpest thing about the film is that both of the adult figures voice characters in, in the fantasy realm as well. Brendan Mm -hmm. Gleeson is doing Connor and MacLear and, and Philando Flanagan is Granny and Maka and, both of which are kind of the same person. So it is entirely possible. This whole thing is simply the projection. I mean, it's how I, for years, two or three years, anyway, um, I was telling people and delighting screwing with them by arguing that it's possible guardians of the galaxy, because of the way it opens, the whole film could be taking place inside that kid's head Mm -hmm. as he, as he runs from the trauma. And it was a year after this. So clearly that's where I got it from, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but it's such a simple metric to use as a story. Um, to build this world around a child who doesn't want to be in it and will come up with literally anything to get himself out. So of course his 
kid, his annoying kid sister is magic because in a weird way, that means she'll never stop annoying him because yes. like, if it's supernatural, he has no power over it and he can yes. just ride along. And the, 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 the visual device of him clipping a dog's leash onto his little sister, who is, again, expressive as all hell, despite having almost no dialogue in the entire film, just the things they do with, with ink. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's it's amazingly confident storytelling. They know they can do this. They can rest all of this action on this tiny little character who says almost nothing, sighs a lot um, to communicate <laughs> sadness and occasionally becomes a seal because that's just the, the realm we're in. And none of it is ever questioned. There's no incredulity. People don't say, no, that's not possible. Everyone just rolls with whatever's happening. Um, yes. And it's such a lovely touch. Yes, I am. Um... Uh, I, I really enjoy that. And, and, and like you said, you know, it, it, it all could be a dream. It all could be, you know, still being a child and trying to make sense of the world and, and being in a fantasy. Um, because even, you know, there's, there's the shot when, when he has his hand drawn map and he's going to go back to coup and the little girl comes with him. Uh, and she, they start to see some of the little, the little pixies, those little shimmers of light, but it's leading in the big city to just this flower that's coming through the pavement. And, and this time watching, and I was like, oh yeah, because that, that is the magic having something green, you know, in this new foreign city landscape. Cause I think, you know, even as adults, we, we feel a, a sense of relief when we go to a park or, or anything like that. At least living in Los Angeles, you know, it's it's very heartwarming when you start to see a, a break in the concrete jungle and, and see something natural and, and beautiful because, because there is something more beautiful in the natural world than, than anything we can create. You know, I feel like art or filmmaking, like it's almost it's like, it's an homage to, to what we see, you know, you're, you're trying to um, capture how you see the world or, or what you find beautiful in it. Uh, because, because we want to share that. We want to share that beauty. Uh, and I think the way they do it in Song of the Sea is just, it's just so perfect. You know, their, their use of watercolors to show like the murkiness and the, the, the undefined swirls of, emotions uh just in the sky you know yeah. uh it just it just it, you know it hits the nail perfectly you know it's just like yes this is this is what it feels like to be unsure and melancholy and angry um and almost not not letting joy in you know i think by the end you know part of acceptance is also allowing yourself um, to be happy to not to not feel bad about what you have left. I think uh, when we when we grieve, there can be a sense of um, betrayal if we're not just sad the entire time because you sure, want people yeah. to know that you still remember. But that's that's that, that's not healthy, and it and, and it's not you can't you can't keep it up for too long because then life passes you by. And I don't think the people that we love that we no longer have, uh, if, if they know anything at all, if they have any consciousness would want us to, to live our life that way. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's something that 
the cartoon saloon films seem to understand really well too that they've all got shattered relationships somewhere in there um the mother is always gone yeah that's true all three right like yeah it was really difficult for me to choose between wolf walkers and song of the sea uh because they they hit me in the same spot from different angles yeah 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 with with one you can talk about all three that it's a they're, <laughs> right, right. they're gateway drugs to each other and wolf walkers sort of amplifies the things that that uh, Song of the Sea amplified from Kells. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Some of the designs just, are a little similar. and Yeah, but you have a, a girl who, who's a little older and uh, dealing with a, you know, a f- God, it's, it's the same in Song of the Sea. You have a father yeah, Robin and Mae. Who's wanting to protect uh, his children. You know, he, and, but it's interesting, right? Because even when he, when he throws her coat in the in the box into the sea and he throws the key away like he tries to make it so impossible because he's going to hold on to her because he needs her and that's not how you should think about your kids yeah it's, it's not also how you should absolute, think about your partners yeah it's also the absolute wrong thing to do story-wise which we yeah. later find out which is also great because it on second viewing it was just one of those things where you realize oh he doesn't know like he just he doesn't know he didn't know his wife he doesn't know his kids yeah. and he doesn't know who or what they are and it's an extension of all of that his his grief has kept him from finding out what he's dealing with because yeah, and he's functioning from fear mm-hmm. he's only functioning from fear and that he didn't handle the first loss well and he couldn't control it but he can control this but that it, it it's never good. It's never a good idea to try to control someone else because it's not going to make you happy ultimately either, you know, because eventually you're going to wonder, well, would, would they have stayed, you know, all, all those others, what ifs come up because you didn't let things be organic. You didn't let nature take its course. Yeah. And yeah, he almost kills his daughter. His, his daughter almost dies because of it. Yeah. And, and it's here that I'm going to just, take a second and praise what Brendan Gleeson does as a voice actor, because those moments of vulnerability and complexity and confusion are not the things he's known for as an actor. I mean, Mm. I love the man to pieces, but he is a great big Irish burly fellow who plays full bodied, uh, emotionally aware and active characters, but they're almost always moving quickly and, and confident, uh, or wrestling with something. And here he just turns that all off and lets the fear come out in his voice mm-hmm. that, that moment where he's, he yells at Ben to stop resisting and then immediately stops. Like his voice clips back in a way that mirrors what the animation is doing when he pulls the character, pulls his hand back, but without the, the shock that we hear in his voice at his own behavior, I don't think that moment would land at all. It would just be a very simple act one bit. And instead mm-hmm. it just, it colors the rest of the film. Yes. Yes. It's um, he's, he's fully, committed in the booth um yeah, i mean you've done and, voice work it's 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 a well, different mode of acting right it's so completely different it is but what i think makes cartoon saloons work so much better quite frankly than than a lot of other animation or voiceover work for that matter is you know you always get this line at the end of voiceover auditions that's like we're looking for natural voices and I'm, they, they don't ever want it they, they just don't <laughs> they, they don't ever actually want a natural voice um but Cartoon Saloon does like his voice, like, and, and they, and I think that what they understand is that by allowing um, Brendan to act, Mr. Gleason, I guess mm-hmm. I should say, by allowing him to actually act, 
you do get all of that in his vocal strain and, and you do, you feel the emotion because he's not going over the top, you know, he's not being told to, to push it higher. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's allowed at least, you know, this is what I would hope to see if I was, if I was there when they were making it sure. um, and what it feels like, which is um, it feels like great acting that you're just seeing an animated, you know, uh, slideshow too, you know, like the, the medium is animation, but it is very much a serious film to me. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, like I, I agree with you quite a bit about um, Mr. Gleason's work. Uh, but one thing I always think about him, I, you know, I was, I was, I was young when the village came out. And, and I haven't re rewatched it oh, since right. at the that. time I loved it and I'll never forget him because the movie opens with him at the gravesite of his son yeah. and how yeah. broken and lost and how truly he's communicating to this patch of dirt. Um, and, and so I can't like, that's just how I, that's how I always see him. And I always know that when he's in something, he's, he's going to deliver that. He's going to be like, I don't know how that man has any energy left because it's so depleting <laughs> to give of yourself that emotionally uh, every time across uh, all these different mediums. Just, yeah. you know, bravo, bravo. Thank <laughs> you. Please keep doing it forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I have uh, I've never actually interviewed him, but I met him at TIFF one year in a hallway. We just walked past each other and I just said, I have to tell you how much I, I love your work. And he said, ah, thanks. That's great. And, and grand. He said, that's grand. Shook my hand. And, and he's one of those people with just this massive pause. My hand yeah. disappeared when he shook it. And it's just like, oh, that is actually the characters that you, like, I get that. You, you are an incredible performer, but you could probably just show up and be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have, yeah. have you seen um, Cavalry? No, I haven't. Oh, it's, I think it might be his best work. Okay. It's, it's a phenomenal performance. He plays a priest who's told that he's going to be killed. It's, it's, it's his passion. He, his passion play. He walks around and, and tries to figure out who wants to kill him and why and what's going on. And it, it's phenomenal. It's, um, uh, yeah, Calvary released in 2014. Uh, it is John Michael McDonough. Yes, I know stuff, um, but it's great. Uh, Chris O'Dowd is in it, and Dylan Moran and and Kelly Riley. It's 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 just this this Odyssey film that takes place in a tiny little uh, window of time in a tiny little place and and Ireland. And it's yeah, it's great. Calvary. Calvary. Cool. I'll check um, it out. I can't wait. Yeah, and again to see him in you know to see him in stuff like the Harry Potter movies and and in um, in cartoonish performances is to just still see the depth that he finds right the way he can make those things come to life. Yeah, and Harry Potter got so lucky with the actors they had in those very important roles: Mad Eye Moody, Snape, like oh, Professor yeah. McGonagall. Like the the luck that they had at having those just unbelievably talented uh actors is i mean thank god thank god those, <laughs> those were the childhood films that i got you know what i mean because like like even watching like twilight let's say like as a teen when all my sure. friends were like very excited about it like sure i, I got the the hot stuff you know <laughs> um but they're never things i go back and rewatch. you know yeah. I, mean? like I saw the first one because my friends liked it I rewatch Harry Potter, even if I'm just looking up scenes on YouTube and I'm like, I really want to see that scene when oh. we get the flashback with Lily and Snape. Like I do that. And that's because of them. It's because yeah. they had the foresight to hire incredible people 
And those incredible people, they showed up and they were incredible. There's a there's a scene in I think it's in Prisoner of Azkaban where it's David Thewlis, Gary Oldman, and Timothy Spall in a room. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the few times that Spall shows up in, instead yeah. of the rat. Um, and it's the 80s, 90s, and zeros of Mike Lee. Those mm-hmm. are his leading men. And they're in yeah. this children's film and they're still giving real heartfelt performances. And it's this, th- those movies are going to be, or they probably already are, this insane gateway for um, for kids to discover like all of British cinema over the last 50 years. Absolutely. Maggie Smith and, and, and Michael Gambon. And like, I think basically yeah. everyone, but Helen Mirren. Gary Oldman. Like, yeah, it's, I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, just look, I'm just lucky. I just feel very lucky that those are the ones that I got. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think like my generation didn't get those. Uh, our, I guess the closest we had were, you know, Alec Guinness showing up in Star Wars and, and right, Francois right. Truffaut in Close Encounters. They're, yeah. they're incredible um, bodies of work are behind them, but it's not, like, those films aren't about them in the way that the Harry Potter films are about the, the adults sometimes. True, um, true. Yeah, and and it's a complexity and a level of storytelling, which I'm going to swing it right back to Cartoon yes. Saloon, which is rooted in a certain kind of Britishness. And then Cartoon Saloon finds the Irish stuff, the Gaelic mm-hmm. stuff, and brings mm-hmm. it out and and uses it, weaves its own mythology. The story of the Selkie, which I only know about because of John Sayles' Secret of Rowan Inish from the 90s, mm. I think, uh-huh, 1993, uh-huh. 1994. Yeah. It's live action and the most uh, vivid story is told by a person speaking to camera. Mm-hmm. And it's a little monologue about the relationship that gave, that that led to the the birth of the, of the little girl who's the principal figure in the film. Mm-hmm. And I, for... 10 years until I saw the movie again, I was sure I'd seen it. I'd seen that flashback, but it's just a person telling a story. Um, It's, oh, it's junk sales. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible just about spoken word and how we can feel like we, like we saw it when when we just heard it, Mm -hmm. you know, the way our, the way our senses work, I think is, um, (laughs) it's it's pretty incredible, uh, especially when a story is captivating. Yeah. And in, the stories that are told, we hear, you know, they're metaphors. It's like people are always trying to explain biblical stuff by saying, no, it's a metaphor. It's a moral story. It's about how to behave in these things, not what actually happened, mm-hmm. which means those fables and, and, and metaphors can be wrapped into almost anything. And so here we have the story of a child who lost his mother and doesn't understand the world that he's living in brought by force from a tiny place into a big world that he doesn't like and immediately fleeing. And because it takes place on Halloween, which is a little throwaway detail that never stops paying off, right? Like mm-hmm. it makes the whole thing magical because he's surrounded by little demons and little ghouls and devils and the fairy folk that are bothering him are just indistinguishable from kids on a bus. I love mm-hmm. that shot of the two of them. They get on a bus <laughs> They're sitting in yeah. the back, surrounded by kids in costumes who have, because they're all wearing masks, they have no expressions on their face. And it just, mm-hmm. it felt like, it felt like spirited away. It felt like my neighbor Totoro. It's, it's this, sure. this tip into Miyazaki. And you realize just how flexible all these fables are because cultures trade them almost. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can communicate the, the, the moment that you feel so exquisitely perfectly in a Japanese film into an Irish animated film that clearly they've seen those movies and they're working mm-hmm. at something, mm-hmm. but it's still its own story. They exist separately, but together. And it's just so wonderful. 
Yes. And, and let me, let me give you another take on it because I think all those shots that you get, it's another way to show that, you know, they're, they're not like other kids. They're yeah. dealing with something. They don't get to just be carefree and, and have a pretend day where they run around and eat candy. Like, like kids deserve to have, mm-hmm. like they don't get to have that. You know, like he he's on a mission. He wants to go back home. And and at this point in the story, you know, home is coup. You know, that that that's where he wants to go. Um and and again, it's 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 that it's that loss of innocence. It's that I didn't get to have this, you know, mm-hmm. like you and 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 those things, um, there's no way around it. Like, like they're sad, but it's just life progressing and the individual journey that we're on with these two young people um, as they are learning what is most important to them and, and realizing, cause you know, they, they show how, how mean he is to his little sister oh, yeah. after he felt like he was going to be the best big brother. And then tragedy strikes and he can't help, but see that little baby as his mom is gone because of this baby. Yeah. And all his hatred is put on to this little girl. And, and it's not fair, but it's a very human thing to do. And, and he learns as he's growing up that that was wrong. And that if anything, this is the only representation of his mom that he actually has. And sure, it's unfair. And he should have had his mom and he should be able to have a normal Halloween. But sometimes we have to grow up fast. And we have to take on more responsibilities. And, and I'm really proud of him. I think he kind of figures it out a lot quicker than, um, than a lot of kids do. You know, he's still, he's only like a 10 year old boy, but he's taking on responsibility. He, I think does become a great big brother to, to his little sister and appreciates her, um, for her, her oddness, you know, for her, her otherness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he is. (laughs) By the end of the film, he is spoilers for Song of the Sea. I think we've already kind of covered it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, is, come on. He, yeah. 2014, this movie's been I know. Out. <laughs> it's had a window. People had that chance. But, but he, he is able to let his mother go, even as he loses her again, which this yeah. time just, you know, I could feel the, the scraping at my heart as it's being mm-hmm. torn out this time because mm-hmm. I know how it's going to go. It's It's the thing that I suspect a lot of you mentioned it uh, in in contrast to Disney, uh, the way the story is told here, Disney would never allow that. No. It's just not allowed. You can't have kids crying as they leave the theater. That's just not fair. It's, yeah. it's not good for repeat business. Yeah. But the honesty of it, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and let me, and let me tell you this, right. So Please? as a, as, as a child who, who grew up on, on little mermaid and all those things, uh, when I first saw little mermaid and what I must have, Six, however young I was, I came out of the of seeing it and was angry as as I've ever been. I did not understand why she got everything in the end. Mm-hmm. She had been disobedient for for no good reason. Like she had been a brat. She had been a complete brat, and and she she gets it all, and she doesn't have to deal really with any repercussion. And I was so mad and I was talking to my parents and I was like, this isn't accurate. It's not accurate. Get me the book. I didn't even know. I was like, there has to oh, be the, the book. book. 
and they wouldn't give it to me. No kidding. And, and I, I know how it ends. And I talked to my grandfather and I was like, I need this book. You got to give me this book. And he didn't look, my grandfather didn't give a shit about me. So he, he gave me the book. Uh, and thank God he did. When I finished that book, I said, yes, this is how this story is supposed to end. This is what happens. And it's sad. It really sucks. But this, this is right. Like I honest to God felt at peace mm-hmm. knowing how the actual, that there was a moral, like knowing that there was an actual, and forget moral, that there, there well, was there's an a price to be paid, right? Yeah. And there was a price to be paid. Um, because, you know, she's still like, it's still, it's still all unfair. She's still just a teenager who gets tricked and is being impulsive. And I think being impulsive is a really good thing when you're a teen, but, but still just knowing that there were consequences and that there was a full story. Uh, so Cartoon Saloon and the movies they make are exactly what I need. Like there is some part of my brain that, that needs to follow a story to its actual conclusion. Mm. You know, Um, because I think when you and I and and I think this is where it's kind of unfortunate with with the retelling of these stories to be so completely positive is you're robbing kids of a full emotional life. Yeah, you're telling them everything's going to be okay no matter what. And the trials they go through are the things that don't really matter, right? Because you just have to get through them. And at the end, everything will be fine. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and all br- three. Brush it off. Just, yeah. just, just, just br- brush it off. And it's like, you know, sometimes things stay with you and it's a little messy and, and you can still persevere, but what's the point of persevering? If you forget everything that you went through, why yeah. go on a journey? You know, it's like when you, when, when you do anything, like when you, my fiance and I, we got lost on a hike not long ago, super lost. I was very scared. <laughs> we ran out of water. It's in the desert. Oh, geez. It was terrible. <laughs> We're all cut up and scraped. And uh, finally, after like three hours, we, we look up and we see these two dots in the distance and, and it's people and they start yelling at us. So like, you're not on the path. Like you got off the path, you know, go, go back and you'll find it. And so we did, we went back and we found it and, and everything was fine. But, you know, the story that I, that I tell from that is like, we were scared and like, we grew closer together. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't focus on the end. Like, guess what the end is? Yeah, we made it. We're fine. I'm still alive. That, that's not fun. What's fun is what we actually went through and why we should never go hiking again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I just think about all the, all the ways there are to die in the woods and I, I don't go hiking. I walk the dog. That's perfectly fine. That's good my thing. Yes, that's uh, good. Yeah, but it's true. The all three of these films end on high notes that are earned with yeah. suffering, with with endurance, like yes. with with. There's a bittersweetness. This, I think, most of all of the three, because Wolfwalkers, yes. you know, the tragedies have already happened by the time the story starts, and it's just about yeah. rediscovering joy, which is yeah. just wonderful. But you still have the the father who who almost dies. Yeah, yeah. At a you cost. know, you you still yeah you still you still have that, and you because she's a little older, you know, you can tell that she's wondering. You know, even though it's my nature, was I doing the right thing? Because someone I love who just doesn't know me yet, you know, because he is, a, I think, I think he is a good dad. You know, he, yeah. he, 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 he wants to protect her, doesn't exactly understand. Um, but they're both, like I said, because she's, you know, like 13, 14, and you already have a bit of that awareness and she's already been through tragedy. She wants him to be okay. You know, so again, you're right. Like, it's just, 
they have to earn it. They have to come yeah, back to have, each other. They have to earn it. And I, and I love that because it's such a better lesson to learn. Oh yeah. I agree. I was going to ask you if you knew, because as it happens, just purely coincidentally, we're, we're going to release this episode on Tuesday, the 7th and on the following week, I think Shout Factory is releasing all three cartoon saloon films in a special box, like holiday Blu-ray edition. So, oh my gosh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it's just happening. I'll put a plug in at the end for people who yeah. might need it. Um, uh, but there's a fourth disc of extras and, and commentary tracks and behind Amazing. the scenes featurettes. And I can't wait to just know more, to understand more. When Wolfwalkers came out last year, Apple put out some featurettes about the making of, but I just want to live in those production lines. I want to see how they create the visuals and what they do, what they do that's digital versus what they do that's hand-drawn, because the, the synthesis of those two media in this particular storytelling mode is just so spellbinding. I mean, Wolfwalkers looks like tapestries and the, the yes. that they've been inspired by are just magical and i want to know what sources they pulled from here because the half the stuff looks like woodcuts mm-hmm. that have come to yes, life yes i was thinking that yeah there there was a very i mean my my experience with, with woodcuts is like from my my catholic background like mm-hmm. seeing and i i felt the exact same way watching it this time i was like oh my gosh like there's such a um medieval woodcut vibe to parts of this film yeah i can't mm-hmm. wait to watch those extras yeah it's gonna yeah. be great the, the um Easy plug for uh, Shout Factory. I've known these people for over two decades now, and they even before they were what they are now, and they are just the best. Um, oh, nice. Cannot wait to see what they do with this stuff. They saved the Dead Zone from obscurity. Uh, oh, nice. Put that out this year, and M Butterfly. I mean, as a, as a as a Canadian and specifically a Toronto film critic, I I'm just I'm on their side for their Cronenberg work alone. But yeah. the stuff they've done with kids projects. I mean, they're they're the ones releasing a lot of the uh, Studio Ghibli films as mm-hmm. well, and mm-hmm. they just have have the best people for this stuff so yeah i'm dying to put in that fourth disc and see what else comes up plus the movies will be remastered and that'll just look nice can't wait i sign me up and i hope (laughs) all my friends uh, appreciate the box set that i give them because that's what everyone's getting (laughs) that's a pretty good gift i think Um, so yeah um and you mentioned your catholic upbringing and that gets us in a really weird way to to agnes yeah not even a a weird way kind of a straight line uh which is the most catholic film i've seen this year (laughs) Being... Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the most the most anti-religion, but most Catholic film of, of 2021. Uh yeah, so Catholicism is a great way into and and with Song of the Sea, I realized re-watching it that another thing that ties in is my obsession with mother-child dynamics. You mentioned that earlier, yeah. So yeah. The way I usually close the podcast is by asking, you know, what, if anything, of this film the guest has used in their own work. But I'm still trying to see if there is a link. The like the the missing mother, missing child thing is around in Agnes. I don't want to mm-hmm. spoil that film, but it's mm. certainly an element of the of the second half of the movie in, in a much greater way, I think, than people. Yeah. Think. And, and thank you. And I and and I um I think the more people know about films the more interested they are to see them so i i i'm very happy to say that in, in the second part of the film you realize that um what mary has been protecting and trying to kind of contemplate with her time in the convent uh where she has to flee from because people won't leave her alone mm. is the loss of her son joey and, and you just see it like very quickly and 
And, and we left it that way so that anyone who has experienced loss can, can put their own story on it. Um, because to me, Agnes is a, uh, we, you know, we, we draw you in with kind of the, the comforting convent and you know what a possession film is. And so you're, you're in for it. And then we take you just, you know, on a car crash of a different direction. (laughs) And I want you to feel jumbled up. I want you to feel confused when we go into the next part, the next phase of the film, because what we're trying to meditate on is the aftershocks of grief and how poisoning it can be to not let something go. Uh, And so at the end of Song of the Sea, where you see the moms come back and she wants to take her daughter with her, you know, and the daughter decides to stay. I think that if Mary had been in that position and and could come back and and could bring her son back from from the dead, she would never let him go again. You know, she she will hold on to him forever because she's basically wanting to almost um, uh, like petrify herself in the memory of the time she had with Joey. Uh, And without him, she is just a wounded animal who is freaking out at anyone who comes near her, you know, because she really just wants to be left alone. But the thing about life is that it doesn't leave you alone. And there are things that come up. It doesn't matter how deep in grief you are, how upset you are. There are things that come up that, that, that snap you out of it. You know, there's, there's the job and the boss who won't leave you alone. There's trying to fill that void with, with false love and sex, uh, which is probably the thing that drives Mary the most crazy, um, as you see when you watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's um, what I would call false prophets. You know, these people who say they want to help, they say that their entire life is about helping, you know, the, the, the priests of the world or in the world of our film but they don't actually want to help. They just want it to be over. And they want to prescribe the advice that is just their boilerplate that has nothing to do with the individual. And that is really damaging. Uh, when I, when I was, uh, there, there was a time I, I lost a friend and, uh, she passed away. Um, and it was tragic. It was awful. And everyone kept saying everything happens for a reason. Uh, you know, God has a plan. And it made me so angry. Yeah, I have it was the same immediate. It, it, it was immediate. Like it, it was, it was at the funeral. It was immediately that oh. people were saying it. And I'm like, first off, your timing, like, what the hell? And this is not, no, this is not the plan. That doesn't, again, it's like, it's like the little mermaid. It doesn't make me feel better. I shouldn't feel better right now. I should be sad. This is the time to be sad. And I think at the time, if I had had someone that was actually able to listen or willing to ask me a question, no one asked me how I was feeling. They just prescribed everything happens for a reason. I think I would have gotten, I would have, I would have come to terms with the loss faster and possibly healthier 
because, you know, this, this was more than 10 years ago. This is really the, the culmination of, of Agnes was, was my experience not being listened to and carrying this grief because people are saying to bury it, but that's not enough. Yeah. I need to talk about it. I need to know that someone else cares. And then yeah. I can start to let go a little bit. Uh, and so that, that's exactly what Agnes is. It's, it's, and, and I hope that when people watch the film, whatever they're dealing with, I hope they give themselves some grace or even better yet, recognize that maybe there's someone in their life that they should call or meet up with and say like, let, I'm here to listen. Like, yeah. let, let me help by just listening. Um, but that's my great, you know, that's my great um, aspiration, I guess, for the film. Yeah, well, I mean, once I realized what it was doing and what it was really about and that it is, I, I love genre stuff, always have, but no movie ever gets into the what happens next question, which is the most fascinating right. thing to me because we all know, I mean, I, I had a conversation about this weirdly enough a couple of weeks ago with uh, Gil Kennan, the, the co-writer of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, in a weird, it's just such a strange thing, but it, the thing that bugs me the most about that movie is that all I want from any Ghostbusters sequel at this point is what does the world look like when you know ghosts are real? You have right. seen them. Like there's in the movie, it shows, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but yes, Paul yes, Red yes. pulls up a YouTube clip of the uh-huh. original movie and, and just shows people there, look, ghosts. And what would that do to the world? It's it's touched on in the first film and then never again, not in Ghostbusters 2, not in the in the spinoff not, or the, the reboot, not in this. And Agnes is that movie. Like mm-hmm. this is a person who has has been through the metaphysical ringer. She has proof that this stuff is happening. And so, of course, if she has a, a horrific, grievous personal loss in her past, all you'd think about is, how do I get it? How do I use what I know to get back to this, to be to be where I think I need to be? And that is, again, we're talking in mean, metaphors. That is the perfect metaphor for loss. Mm-hmm. Because well, thank you, know, you. you would do anything to have another day with the people that you miss the yes. most. And, yes. And it translates into the film in such a really simple i mean mickey reese as a as a writer director is doing something that i don't think anybody else wants to do as a filmmaker mm. and i mm. that sounds negative but i think he's exploring this space that uh for drama you know climate of the hunter that sort of thing these are movies that aren't conventional but they're telling conventional stories in new ways yeah and i think i can see why other people don't want to try it and i could see why you know ghostbusters afterlife doesn't really want to examine what the knowledge well, of the afterlife is but Agnes finds the answer, or at least the the theory. Thank you, and, and I think you know another thing. And this is you know you're you. It's funny because making independent films is really difficult, mm-hmm. but it's also you're kind of lucky if you can make one because you don't have the pressures the big studio films have on them. You know what I mean? To be like mass appeal, you can experiment and try to tell a story that we've all seen from a slightly different angle, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's what it gives you. That's you have the time to experiment. Uh, So that's, you know, why I I love indie films and and I love making them. And real quick, just another tie into song of the sea. I'm realizing is uh, when uh, Maka 
is bottling all of her emotions because they're all too much to feel. I mean, what what yeah. better like animated sequence uh, to describe Agnes and describe what Mary is going through? She has, you know, bottled all of her happiness and she thinks if she holds on to it really, really tight that, that she'll get to have it. But by doing that, you are separating yourself from the world and the positive beauty that can come from real healing. Yeah. The possibility of more anything, right? Yes. Even if it's more pain. Yes. But yes. it could just be peace. Yes. Or and, it, and it's better. And it's it's better. You gotta, you gotta, I think, you know, Ben Hall's character says you have to walk through the darkness to get to the light, you know? Uh, and that's just the truth. Yeah, that's what Cartoon Saloon's movies are all about. All three. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I hope, I hope Agnes uh, expresses that uh, half as well as Cartoon Saloon does. Yeah. <laughs> well, when the kids that watch these movies are old enough to watch Agnes, they'll see the link. Uh, I hope so. We'll make them see it. Great, great. I love that. <laughs> My thanks to Molly Quinn, whose new film Agnes is in theaters and on demand this Friday, December tenth. She's really great in it. You should see it. Thanks also to Jamie Lobel. She knows what she did. You can find Molly on Twitter at MollyQuinn93, M-O-L-L-Y-Q-U-I-N-N-9-3, and you can find Song of the Sea on Blu-ray in Shout Factory's Cartoon Saloon Irish Folklore Trilogy, which does indeed come out next Tuesday. The film is also available to rent or buy on VOD platforms everywhere. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast every Friday, in addition to writing a great deal of words about movies and television. This week, we've actually covered the year in television. You can find that at NowToronto.com movies and on the Now What podcast, where we talked about it. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Watch movies. Stay safe. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.